You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Acts chapter 14 is where we're at, and actually we'll, we'll pick up in chapter 13, verse 42. And again, Lord, we just uh, we pray that you would, uh, would accomplish all that's in your heart today through the studying of your word. And Lord, just as we just so know Jesus is the center of the scriptures, the word is primarily about Jesus. We just pray that, that you, Lord, would be brought out as we, as we speak, Lord, as I speak, as we listen to you, Father. Let your Holy Spirit just testify of Jesus, testify of the gospel. And Lord, for hearts that, that still don't know what the gospel is, Lord, I pray that just you would just reveal just your incredible plan, your redemptive work to save mankind, Lord, to glorify yourself. Do that as your word goes forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, we're studying Paul's first missionary journey. It's a missionary journey that begins with Paul, Barnabas, and Barnabas's nephew, Jonathan. And because God is such a righteous God, because God is the creator of the universe, the creator, creator of earth, and the creator of man, and because God is the judge of man, uh, because man fell short of God's righteousness, because Jesus died to make man righteous once again, and because man needs to respond to what Jesus did, we see Paul and Barnabas hazarding their lives for the gospel. It's because of the gospel that we see these two men leaving everything they've ever known and taking this venture in faith and just setting out on a boat, setting to sea, to go tell the world about Jesus. To go tell the world that there's a creator that they are accountable to. That one day they will stand before the righteous judgment seat of God. But that they're not without hope that Jesus came and died and his innocent blood paid the ransom price as sin held man hostage. You guys, that is good news. That is news that every man, every woman, and every child needs to hear. And there was a burden on Paul and Barnabas's heart. There was a call on Paul and Barnabas's heart. And because of that, they counted their life as a sacrifice to the Lord. And they were spent for Jesus going out into the world. And we're going to see some of that today as we just continue on in their first missionary journey. We've seen over the last two weeks, they've, they've left Antioch at the top of the map there, top right. And they've set sail to the island of Cyprus. They had a radical ministry with uh, the uh, proconsul or the governor of the island there. They preached in Salamis. They preached in Paphos. And then they set sail up to Perga there in Pamphylia. Uh, they hiked over the Taurus Mountains up into Antioch. And last week we studied that they went into the synagogue there in Antioch. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the, the ruler of the synagogue noticed Paul and Barnabas that they were traveling guests. And so they said, man, if you have any word of exhortation for us, speak on. 
And so Paul and Barnabas really sweatily and nervously said, oh, we can't, I don't have, I don't have anything to say. I don't, I don't have any, nothing to say. I don't have, no, they didn't nervously and fearfully decline the opportunity, but with boldness, Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and gave a powerful testimony of Israel's history. And beginning in that testimony, he shares about how God has consistently been over sovereignly working through the nation of Israel. And within that, man was constantly rebelling against God. God was constantly putting up with their ways. But man, you know, they wanted judges instead of God. So God gave them judges. They wanted a king instead of God. So God gave them a king. And because of their rebellion, God brought them a savior through the seed of David, a man named Jesus. And Jesus didn't just live a, a happy, prosperous, lording, you know, lordship life here on earth, but he came as a suffering servant and he laid down his life as he was murdered by the Jews, as he was murdered by those that actually studied the prophecies about Jesus. But he didn't stay dead in the tomb, Paul motioned with his hands. You're just wondering as he was motioning, they nailed Jesus to the cross. But he didn't stay on the cross. He rose from the dead, you know, and he, and he preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said that if any man would believe in Jesus, they will be justified. They will be justified. Or in, in the legal courtroom of heaven, the gavel will be slammed down. And in God's sight, it will be just as if they had never sinned. Their sins will be forgiven and their sins will be forgotten as far as the east is from the west. But you've got to believe, he says. And he says, and you that mock, watch yourselves. Because I'm doing a work around you that you wouldn't even believe even though it's happening around you. Even though your eyes would see it. So he preaches just this incredible message. And we went over that in depth last week. And today at the end of chapter 13, we get into the response of that message in verse 42. <clears throat> so when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now we know from earlier in the chapter that there were kind of a mixed group of listeners there in the synagogue. There were the Jews there in the synagogue, and then there were those that were, had, had a fear of the Lord, uh, but they were Gentiles. They were proselytes or converts into Judaism. They were Gentiles. And, uh, and we see here that the people that the message really touched was the Gentiles. You know, they begged that these words might be preached again uh, the next week, on the next Sabbath day. That's an incredible thing. You know, I don't really know exactly what the Jews were thinking as they were listening, but they were probably thinking, who does this guy think he is coming in here and telling us our own history and, and what, we murdered him? You know, and, uh, you know, I don't know what exactly their heart was when they left that day, but we do know what the Gentiles' hearts were. Tell us more. Oh my gosh, these words are like water to my soul. You know, oh, these, these words that you're telling about Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and that I can be justified, I can be looked at as if I've never sinned, I've never lusted, I've never cheated, I've never stolen, I've never been covetous, I've never had any other gods, I can, I'm forgiven and, and forgotten, oh my gosh, it's like honey to my lips, tell me more, tell me more. 
They were hungry for the truth. And you know, as the Gentiles, you know, the Gentiles in the eyes of the Jews, you know, they were nothing but <clears throat> fuel to fire the, the, or to fuel the fires of hell with. You know, they were nothing but kindling. You know, they were referred to by the Jews as dogs. And so for these dogs to just realize, wow, I can be forgiven. I can be restored. I, I, I can have an inheritance in heaven. Tell us more, Paul. Tell us more, Barnabas. And so it says there in verse 42, Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So there was this dialogue that was happening. And as they talked, there was a persuasion that happened. You know, so often as you're, as you're sharing with people, it doesn't just happen all at once, but there's this reasoning that takes place. There's this showing from the scripture. There's a persuade. Have you ever persuaded somebody something? You know, man, it's just, wait, think about this. Okay. Think about this. You know, he's talking to Jews. He's talking to people that were brought up, you know, completely believing that they had to keep the law that it was based on their righteousness that they would, you know, that they would be found right in God's sight. And, and finally, Paul is able to persuade some of these that what you really need to do, you guys, what you really need to do is you need to continue in the grace of God. And you know what? That's the same thing that we need to do today. If you're a Christian here in this place, you know, so often we, we understand that, you know, I'm a sinner. There's no possible way that I can get to heaven by my own righteousness. I need Jesus' righteousness to be imparted to me so that I can go to heaven, you know. And so, you know, then, you know, that day comes when the Holy Spirit shows us that and we receive that righteousness in Christ. And then it seems like by the next day, we think that, okay, the rest depends upon me. Now I've really got to work hard and I've really got to make things happen and I, you know, it's going to be completed in what I do here. It's going to be completed in how hard I really try. And that's just not what the scriptures teach us. You know, as we've begun in grace, as we've begun through a gift of God, so are we going to continue in grace. You know, as you'll look up at the map, you'll notice that the area of Antioch and Lystra, Iconium, Derby, it's called Galatia. Does that sound familiar to you? It's because the letter of Galatians that we have in our Bible was written not to one church in, in a town or anything, but to a whole region. And the main theme of Galatians is do not depart from grace. Because not long after Paul and Barnabas will leave that region, some men will come in called Judaizers. And they'll come in with this legalistic trip that they wanted to put on people. And they'll say things like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, you're saved by faith, but you're made perfect through working. Or you're saved by uh, faith, but it's not just faith. You're saved by faith and this. Faith and circumcision, faith and keeping the Ten Commandments, faith and this, faith and this. And you guys, if that ever is the case, you have a false gospel. 
We're not saved by faith and works. We're saved by faith, and that faith naturally produces works. That faith naturally produces that. It's not something we have to strive for. It's something that all we need to do is just keep the faith, keep loving Jesus. And as we do that, the Holy Spirit is going to be producing good works in our life. You know, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul's writing to those churches there in Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, Derbe. And, you know, within the first six verses, he says, you know what? I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He's like, don't you remember there after I preached that day in Antioch that we went out and I persuaded you to continue in the grace of God? Man, I just marvel. It's only been a a little bit of time and you're already going off to to works again. And then in chapter 3, verse 3 of Galatians, he says this. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You guys, that's foolishness, Paul says, that we're made perfect by our works and by really hunkering down and getting it done. Yeah, Jesus got me this far, but I get myself the rest of the way. You guys, that is not New Testament Christianity, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is we're saved by the Spirit. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're also sanctified by grace. We're set apart from this world by grace. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, I love the end of Romans chapter 7 because Paul is just writing, you know, from a, a standpoint that so many of us have been in. You know, why do I not do the things that I want to do? And why am I doing the things I don't want to do? Oh, wretched man that I am, what's going to deliver me from this bondage that I'm in? And then he gets into chapter 8, and he says, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to set us apart. At the end of chapter 7, he says, I thank God through Christ Jesus, my Lord, I can be delivered from this battle that rages within me. And he goes on to say, by the Spirit. You know, in that last section there of Romans uh, chapter 7, the words I are used like 19 times. I want to do this, but I do this, but I do this, and I do this, and I can't do this, but I want to do this, but I want to, oh, I want to, uh, I, 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 I. And in chapter 8, it's all about the Spirit and the victory that comes from the Spirit. And may the Lord just grant us that understanding that when we're starting to be tempted, that we would petition the Holy Spirit for strength. We would cry out for the Holy Spirit. You know, we would, we would be patient for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in our life. But know this, it's foolishness to think that we begin in the Spirit, but we're made perfect by our flesh. We're made perfect by the Holy Spirit as well. And so he persuades them to continue in the grace of God. You know, we're going to read about the grace of God in the next chapter. And, 
And you might just you know, put squares around every time you just have reference to God's grace because it just speaks of a total gift. A total gift. Nothing that we've earned. Nothing that we've done. Nothing that we've worked for. Romans tells us that if we would have worked for it, it wouldn't be a gift, but it would be payment for a debt. And God doesn't owe any man anything, you guys. He gives gifts. He doesn't give us salvation because he owes us salvation. He gives us salvation because he wants, he, he loves us and he wants to give us a gift. I'm thankful for that grace, you guys. I persuade you and I persuade myself today. Continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Isn't that incredible? I put a little star by that verse in my Bible. I'm just like, man, to comprehend a whole city coming out to hear these guys that, I mean, they were nothing special in and of themselves. You know, you look at a lot of the big events that happen nowadays and they've got, you know, marketing teams that go out in front of them and they've got flyers distributed and commercials on TV and internet you know, uh, all sorts of advertisements on internet and you get the Facebook invitation, you know, and, and then they've got, you know, uh, the, the massive, um, you know, Coliseum or wherever it is that they meet and they've got sound systems and, you know, they, they just you know, smoke machines and all things like that, you know, and here's these guys that are like, they go into a synagogue and they sit down and, you know, the, the ruler of the synagogue says, hey, do you guys have anything to say to us? Yes, I do, you know, so he opens up his mouth and he talks. And, you know, and by the next week, the whole city has come out. You guys, that is a work of the Holy Spirit right there. That is not Paul's eloquence. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that draws people unto himself. It's the Holy Spirit that's working through a life of a man that just says, here's the gospel. Ding, ding, you know, here's the gospel. It is such a treasure that my life is rubbish. My dreams and my goals, it is, it is crud compared to getting this gem, this present, this gift of the gospel out to the world. My life doesn't matter. This gift to the world matters. And I've been reading that book, 50 People Christians Should Know, and, and I read this week the story of uh, Dwight L. Moody. And uh, as he was over uh, working in England doing a, uh, a ministry over there for a little while, a man spoke to him words that really changed his life and just took him deeper in the faith. And he said this to Dwight Moody. He said, the world has yet to see what God will do through a man who is wholly given over to him. I, I think we, we get a taste of it in the book of Acts. You know, I think we, we get a taste of what God can do through a man who's wholly given over to him, who's wholly set apart, who's wholly consecrated to him. And we see here in, in, uh, in this city that the whole city gathers together to hear. And you know, just one of my favorite things to do is to get away from the office here, sorry guys, uh, to get away from the office, to get away from home, and to go up on the viewpoint and to just pray. And to just pray and, and to seek the Lord and to pray for this town. And man, I, just, I can sit there for, for hours and just watch the people 
You know, from up there, you could just see people walking. You, see, you can see cars driving. You see cars of people that you know doing illegal things, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but man, as I'm up there, my heart just breaks more and more every time I'm up there. I see businesses and I see McDonald's and I think of the faces that I know in McDonald's. I, I see people, you know, uh, at Thriftway and just the, the faces of Thriftway. And, and I just see the people and my heart is just broken. And I just, I just cry out every time I'm up there that the Lord would do a work in this city that would cause such a revival that it would never be attributed to any man. It could never be like, well, that guy was just a really good talker, so of course people would come. Or, well, they did such a great marketing strategy that brought the whole town together that, that of course, there was this great, you know, but that there would just be a work of the Holy Spirit drawing men unto himself that it would never be accredited to, it, to anybody and that every church in this town could say, the Lord has done a great thing here. That he's brought a whole town to hear the gospel. I long for that. I, I pray for that. And, and, you know, I'm not sure that Prineville has ever seen just the, the effects of a, of a man whose life has wholly been given over to, to him. And, uh, and, man, let's be those men and women just available for God to move through us. And... Uh, And so verse 45, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy or bitter jealousy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the thing uh, spoken, uh, spoken of by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold. And I, I just love that, that they, they, they had the Holy Spirit just increasing their courage here. Um, and, uh, you know, it could be an intimidating thing when people are opposing you, no matter what you're talking about, you know. But uh, here they come, they oppose Paul, and the, the Holy Spirit causes them to have courage. And Paul said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. You might note that phrase there that when you reject the gospel, you are yourself judging yourself unworthy of everlasting life. You know, here is this gem of the gospel, this, this gift from God to man, that no no matter what you've done, I want to give you this gift and I want to save you from your sins. I want to bring you to my kingdom. I'll be glorified through that. No matter what you've done. And for man to say, I don't want that. I reject that. They are themselves judging themselves, saying, you know what, I'm unworthy of that. I'm unworthy of that. You know what, that's true, we are unworthy of that. Every one of us is unworthy of the gospel. It's nothing that we've done, but they've condemned themselves by their unbelief. And so he goes on to say, you know, man, we came to you first, but now we turn to the Gentiles. Now we turn to the Gentiles, for so the Lord has commanded us in Isaiah, I've set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. You know, Paul had such a heart for the Jews. Such a heart for the Jews. In Romans chapter 10, he says, Man, my heart for Israel to be saved is so deep that I myself would go to hell if my countrymen could just be saved. 
I've just been convicted of that lately, that I don't know that I've really been able to say that in truth. Man, my, my heart, as I watch Prineville drive around, and is that I'm not sure that I want to go to hell for them, though. But Paul had that heart, and I want to have that heart. You know, that he would have such a burden for the lost. But he says, you know what? Because you're rejecting Jesus, we're going to the Gentiles now. We're taking the gospel to the Gentiles. There's a whole harvest up there. There's a whole field that is white for the harvest. And Jesus told us that in Matthew chapter 9. He says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out his workers out into the harvest field. And you guys, today there are fields that are white and ripe for the harvest. The workers are few. And our prayer is that the Lord would send out you people as workers out into your schools and your job sites and your homes. And that you would just be, you know, farmers just on a mission. Supposed to bring in a crop. Supposed to bring in a crop. And that every person we see, we wouldn't see their face or their countenance or their hygiene or their social status, but we would see a soul that Jesus loved enough to lay down his life for in an excruciating and shameful way. And that he's appointed me in their life to share with them this good news. I'm a worker in the field. God sent me out to bring in that harvest. When we're at the park when we're at school, when we're at Walmart, when we're, you know, at, at Ray's, you know, when we're getting our nails done at Blooming Nails. I don't go there personally, but, you know, that share with that person. He's my neighbor, okay? Like, do it yourself, Roy. But at Blooming Nails, you know, uh, sh- share with them. You know, consider them as, as grains of wheat that need to be gathered in. And now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So we see the Gentiles, you know, they've got this kind of fresh excitement um, about what God is doing for them. You know, they're understanding this gift that is for them as well as for the Jews. And they're just, they're glad, they rejoice. And you'll notice just this, this, you know, this verse that does speak of predestination, does speak of election, that there were those that were appointed to eternal life from the beginning of the earth. Uh, And we see that they believed they were saved. We see, you know, God's sovereignty over the work of salvation here. You know, we, we also see just that man needs to respond. Man needs to believe. And as you look back in, you know, at the end of, um, you know, the, the sermon there that he did in chapter 13, you know, that, that man needs to believe. But God's appointed uh, man for salvation. And so just a, a key verse there on God's predestination. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. Man, I I love that verse as well because we just see that the word didn't stay just within that church, but the whole region began to uh, hear the hear the word. You know, just picture that map up there and just kind of a just this bright glow shining all across the region there of Antioch and Galatia. You know, just the gospel going forth because these people, Paul, Barnabas. 
And those that were being saved, they had eyes that were lifted up off of themselves and they were lifted up and able to see the harvest. They had eyes that were lifted up. And man, may the Lord get our eyes off of ourselves and onto that harvest. Turn real quick, if you will, to Romans chapter 10, verse 14 through 15. Romans chapter 10, 14. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, How beautiful! are the feet of those who preach the gospel of grace, who bring glad tidings of good things. And if you would be one that would get your eyes off of yourself and have the Lord lift your eyes up to see the souls around you that are perishing, to see the fields that are white with harvest, and you would go out into that harvest field, your feet are so beautiful. I mean, think about that. Those feet are carrying the message of salvation, the cure to the cancer of sin. Those are beautiful feet. Those are beautiful hands. Those are beautiful lives that are set apart for Jesus. Because how, man, man, very good reasoning that Paul gives us there in Romans. How are people going to call on Jesus if they don't believe in Jesus? How are they going to believe in Jesus if they've never heard about Jesus? And how are they going to hear about Jesus if nobody opens up their mouth and gets the message into their ears and into their head and from their head to their heart? You know, God, in His awesome way that He's orchestrated things, has, has ordained it that we would be useful, that we would be useful here on this earth. We're tools, we're, we're useful to bring Him glory. And when you know who God is from the Scriptures, that is an incredible, incredible thing that He's entrusted to us. You know, as we are officers of His in a sense, our feet are just are beautiful going out into the world. But this text here in Romans chapter 10, it's a grand text that has led so many men and women into the mission field. So many men and women as they consider, you know, man, there's countries out there that have never heard. And you think of, just I want to share with you just some some lives that have been touched by this passage. A man named Bobby Moffat at the end of the 1700s. Bobby Moffat was nicknamed Wee Little Bobby. You know, he was just a little guy. And he had this call in his heart to Africa because he read this passage from Romans chapter 10. And he went and he ended up changing the course of Africa because he wrestled with this verse. Well, Bobby Moffat had uh, a son-in-law named David Livingston. You guys have heard of David Livingston. And you guys know the, the story, you know, the, the popular phrase, you know, uh, 
Dr. Livingston, I presume. You know, that was about a story of meeting that guy in the jungle. But anyways, David Livingston was Bobby Moffat's son-in-law. And as wee little Bobby was at home sharing of his missionary journeys to Africa, Bobby Moffat shared that he would look out over Africa and he would see the, the, the smoke from the village fires of all of these different villages out there that he could see. And Romans 10 was just burdening his heart that, you know, how are these villages going to believe if they've never heard? And, and so he was just, uh, you know, just going out. Just, Lord, there's a harvest. I see the harvest. I'm going out. And so his son-in-law caught that vision to go out and to help reach Africa for Jesus. And David Livingston spent the rest of his life as a physician loving on the people of Africa, so much so that when he died, they packed his body back towards uh, to be shipped back to Scotland, but they buried his heart there in Africa. You know, he had a heart to see the African souls saved for Jesus. And how will they hear unless someone tells them? You have William Carey, who was a man who, who was a missionary to India. He also was known as a little man, and he was a cobbler. Not a cobbler maker, but a, a shoe fixer, you know? And, uh, sorry, I, I like cobbler. <laughs> Hear that word, and I just, my mouth starts watering. Uh, he was a cobbler by trade, and in his shoe shop, he had this huge map of, of India. He just had this vision, this call on his heart, this burden for India. And so he ended up going to a missions conference. And as he was there at the missions conference, he was around a group of elderly men and he just shared his passion for India. And one of the older men uh, rebuked him openly in front of everybody and said, when God wants to save the heathen in India, he'll do it without your help or mine. But William Carey remembered Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and said, how will they hear? Unless someone goes and tells them. So he ended up going out and, and just really helping, you know, the Holy Spirit doing it, transforming India. Leading a revival in India. Hudson Taylor, man, just an incredible, uh, you know, predecessor, uh, was the father, is known as the father of Chinese missions. And as you read his story, you see he also wrestled with the vision here in Romans chapter 10. And, and he thought about a million Chinese people a month dying without Jesus. And that thought was just too much for his heart to bear. So he ended up going out, forsaking everything uh, to be a missionary in China, uh, losing his wife and his kids because of the uh, cultural and climate change. They ended up passing away and he completely forsook uh, the customs of, uh, of England and adopted complete Chinese uh, dress, even growing a long ponytail. You know, his life was completely set apart so that these people in China would be, would be saved. And, and most, you know, attribute uh, him to laying the groundwork for that underground revival that happened there in China. You know, then you have Charlotte Moon, or she's better known as Lottie Moon, who was a rebel in high school. She was a skeptic and she refused to believe the gospel of Jesus. It sounded so made up. But then one day she finally went to a Bible study. She yielded her life to Christ and immediately the Holy Spirit called her to China. 
called her out uh, to China there. And Lottie Moon ended up going farther into China with the gospel than anyone had ever gone by that point. Uh, She would do this with her life. She would feed the homeless and bring pregnant women into her house. At one point, having 17 women, pregnant Chinese women, in her little tiny apartment, nursing them back to health and, and preaching the gospel to them. As she would preach the gospel, there was a Confucius sect there in town. And the leader heard about this young woman who preached a message with fire from on high. And so he invited Lottie Moon to come and speak to him and his Confucius sect. And as she speaked, uh, the, the leader there got saved. And as the leader got saved, the leader then took the gospel to his cousin, whose name was Li Ting. And Li Ting ended up getting saved and becoming one of the greatest national evangelists in China of the 19th century. And so just incredible to see what God can do through one college girl who recognizes the gem of the gospel, counts her life as rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus and the world knowing Jesus, and says, you know what, God, whatever you have for me, I'll follow. Whatever you have for me, I will do. Most of us are familiar with Jim Elliott and his friends. Jim Elliott was an Oregonian. He was raised in Portland. Uh, The high school that he went to is just off I-84 up there, uh, right before you hit the river. Uh, And uh, as as he was this young Oregonian wrestler, he ended up uh, going off to college and meeting Ed McCauley, Nate Saint, Roger Uberian, and Peter Fleming. And all of these guys were just incredible students, incredible athletes, and yet nothing in this world, all of these jobs that kept coming, these opportunities that kept coming to them, none of them seemed right. None of them seemed like, uh, like worthy of this one calling that they felt on their heart. Every one of them, that they would take the message of Jesus to the Alca Indians down in Ecuador. They had this burden on their heart and, and all of Jim Elliott's friends and, and even leaders in his life would say, Jim, the world needs more pastors and teachers and preachers and you have such a gift. You can get online and listen to his sermons today. He has some sermons online and they said, you have such a gift. Don't go down there. They're headhunters. You know, don't, don't go down there. And Jim Elliott just said this quote that just resonates with me all the time. As Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gave up or gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And then he and his friends got in a little Cessna airplane and flew down to Ecuador and started this ministry with the Alca Indians and established some communication with them. And not long after they established the communication, they were all thrust through with spears and died there uh, face down in a river in the jungles of Ecuador. You know, what an honor to have an Oregonian who is a martyr for Christ. And, uh, you know, just to think about them who didn't count their lives dear to themselves, but said, you know what? How will they hear unless somebody goes? Every single one of us has some sort of a, well, you know, the world needs this, or the world needs that, or the, so don't go out for Jesus. Hey, you know what? Man, 
It's better to get rid of those things that I can't keep so that I can gain those things that I can't lose. And the whole reason that that glow began to spread across the map as the gospel went across the world was because of guys like Paul and Barnabas who said, you know what? How will they hear? How will they hear unless somebody speaks to them? Bruce Olson, you might know him better as Baruchko, was a 19-year-old man who wrestled with Romans chapter 10 here. And he, as a 19-year-old, went down to Colombia. This is, I believe, in the 60s. Went down to this tribal people in Colombia who'd never even heard the name of Jesus. Immediately, he's thrust through with a spear and thrown into a hut. Well, the chief's son was a bit curious about Baruchko, and so began to go in and, and kind of bring a little bit of water and a little bit of food. And eventually, the chief's son is mending this, this young man back to health. And soon the chief passes away and the chief's son becomes the, the chief of this tribe and brings, you know, nicknames Bruce Baruchko. And uh, as they become best friends, uh, the chief says, you know, I believe in a God that created all of this stuff. And Baruchko was able to say, I do too. And guess what? That God sent his only son to die so that all of the bad things we've ever done could be forgiven and we could be set free from the bondage of sin. The chief ended up getting saved. The whole tribe ended up getting saved. And that tribe is still uh, a huge missionary outreach to Columbia uh, to this day. Amy Carmichael just recently read her biography. Was a woman who was told not to go to India. And she ended up going to India. You know, they said it's unprofitable for a woman to go there. But she went and ended up finding that all of these young girls were being sold by their parents to the temples there uh, as prostitutes. And she went in and just for the rest of her life, from about 20-something years old until she was almost 90, uh, even when she was an invalid, she had this ministry to these young uh, women and uh, leading them to Christ, really leading a revolution there for the gospel in India. There's lastly, just some of these neat testimonies of people that just under, you know, just said, how will they hear? How will they hear unless someone tells them? Gladys Howard was a maid in England who had a burden for China. And she heard this passage in Romans chapter 10. And when the missionary board said, nope, you're unstable, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're not able to go to China, she ended up making her own way and going there to China and just, man, having a huge impact on that nation. But, you know, each one of these peoples are, peoples are people just like us. They're just like us. They have, you know, a, a nature just like us. They're, you know, like Elijah had a nature just like us, fears, and, oh, well, I'd really rather do this, and, and just that battle between the, the flesh and the Holy Spirit and, and our spirit, and, uh, and, man, they were obedient to the call that God had on their lives. And, you know, I have really a heart for missions. I really have a heart for missions, and I think that some point the Lord's going to be using our church in taking the gospel to other countries, but I don't feel like the Lord's saying, yet. Um, and I think, you know, he's allowed us to be going through this economic time so that we could stay here and we could have a heart that's burdened for the lost in Prineville, that we would lift our eyes up and see right here, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Right here, people, man, they need to just be obedient and open their mouths and tell people about Jesus. And I believe that if we do, the word of the Lord would be spread throughout all the region, as verse 49 uh, says there. And you know, I'll just be honest with you. Man, I have times of strength in that, getting my eyes up and seeing the harvest and just, man, just sharing with people as often as I come. And I have times of weakness. You know, there's certain types of people I'm around I feel like I'm more bold with, and then there's types of people that I'm around and Man, I just feel fear set in and, or, or, you know, just that fear of rejection or that fear of ruining a relationship. And I balk up and I, uh, fear sets in. I just confess, I'm, I'm no better than anybody. You know, and I'll just confess, man, pray for me uh, for, I have a neighbor named Jack and I've mentioned him before and I love Jack and his wife, Sally. And I've been able to share with him a little bit of my testimony and just what God has done in my life. And, and yet I've never just brought it home. I've never brought it to bear on Jack's soul. That Jack, you are, you are very nice to me, you know, and I love you, but you are a sinner. You're a sinner and you're going to hell and you need Jesus. And I had a dream on Sunday night last week that that I uh, was compelled by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and talk to Jack and that I told Jack, you know, Jack, you should be really upset with me. You should be really angry with me. And he's like, why? Why would I ever be angry with you? I said, because of what I believe and if what I believe is really true and I've been withholding it from you, and that would be that you're going to hell. And, and as I'm sharing with him this, he begins to cry. And he goes, I know, I know, you need to tell me. And I just begin to speak to him that, man, you are going to hell without Jesus. And so pray for me, because ever since Sunday night, I've just been like, oh, Lord, open up that door to where there's, there's not the rush, and he's just like in his car and out the driveway. But Lord, open up that door that I could just lay it down and in love. Lay it down and in love. You know, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3 says that those who turn many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. And those that win souls are wise. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, let your light so shine among men that they could see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Man, may we be lights in this world. But in verse 50, the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief priests of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. So there's just this uh, um, opposition to the gospel there. They kick them out. They thrust them out um, of the whole region there. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. So they shook off the dust from their feet. Just what Jesus said to do. You know, he says, if, if a city rejects you, shake off the dust off your feet when you're leaving. And he goes on to say, Jesus says, uh, but know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. You know, we're dusting the soil of your city off of our feet, but know this as we're leaving. You've rejected the kingdom of God. There was a point in your life when the kingdom of God has come near you. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How do you think you'd feel if you'd been thrust out, not just of the city, they were thrust out of the whole region. 
How would you feel? Oh, man, that was horrible. Let's go home. <laughs> you know, no, they were full of joy and, and the Holy Spirit. You know, that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. And, you know, just like in, in chapter uh, four, at the end of chapter four of Acts, you know, as uh, the apostles were persecuted, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer reproach for Christ's name. Or they rejoiced. They were full of joy and with the Holy Spirit. I think we're going to close there this morning. And Stuart, you can come on up. I just think there's a, a real application for all of us here today. There's a call to respond for every one of us today. For those of you that have never grabbed hold of that gift of salvation. You know, today, if you were honest and you just asked the Lord to examine your heart, He would say to you, you're not saved today. You have not been born again. You have a hard heart today. But here is this gift, this gem of the gospel. That while you were still a sinner, an enemy of God, full of rebellion and wickedness, Christ died and came for you to set you free from that. And if you would believe on him today, if, if through faith today you would put your trust in him as your, as, as your uh, worth for salvation, you would put your trust in him in, in repenting from your sins, you would be saved today if you would just receive that gift. But if you would reject that today, it says we read today, you are judging yourself unworthy. You're judging yourself unworthy of that gospel, unworthy of that good news. I'm telling you today, though, that God today is saying, you know what? You're not worthy, but I want to give it to you anyways. Receive that free gift today. Receive that gift of salvation. Turn from your sins and turn to Jesus. And those of you that have received that gift, you have received that grace. Continue in that grace. Don't be a fool. You won't be made perfect in the flesh. Continue in the Holy Spirit. Continue in faith. Let the Holy Spirit set you apart from this world. But today if you're here and you've never received that gift, just even as I'm speaking, I just believe the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, open your heart and let me in. I'll change you. You'll be born again. You'll have a new life. You'll be transformed. I'll do that in you. Don't try to clean up your life yourself. It's like trying to clean a fish before you catch it. Let me come in. Let me clean you. Today is the day of salvation. 
believe on the name of Jesus, receive that gift today through faith. Just right now in the quietness of your heart, maybe even just whisper, you can shout it out if you want, but just just say, Lord Jesus, today I receive that gift through faith. I receive the forgiveness of sins. I receive the cleansing of my conscience. I receive that new heart. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to go to heaven. And I want to live for you here on earth. Cleanse me from my old ways, Jesus. And help me to obey you in this new life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I believe that you've risen from the dead. For the believer, as we just close and and worship, and for you that just prayed that prayer in your heart, you're you're a believer today. Let's just sing, and just as we sing, let's just ask the Lord to empower us and strengthen us for obedience. Let's just love Jesus and through faith believe that as we love Jesus, we're going to just be naturally doing works for Him. Not perfecting ourselves, but just letting the Holy Spirit perfect us. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.